This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to episode six of The Promised Land, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by 90 Min. My name is Scott Saunders, joined once again by football journalist and Manchester United season ticket holder, Rob Blanchett. Rob, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm very well. Um, a lovely, dramatic uh, late win at West Ham, which I was there for on uh, on Sunday afternoon, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, remember to subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast provider. We're on Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts and follow us on Twitter as well. You can find us at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promised Land MU on Twitter. Uh, follow us, get in touch with us and subscribe, drop a like. Um, if you can do that on podcasts, I'm not actually sure. Um, leave us a five-star review as well and drop uh, all of the compliments in the world on us. Um, we will be eternally grateful. Um, Rob, let's talk about West Ham. Uh United play West Ham twice in a week, but we're going to look at the league game, uh, which happened on Sunday. Uh, as I mentioned, I was there for it. It was quite a dramatic end to the game, uh, but United went there. They played decent in patches. How did you see it going? Because, I mean, Jesse Lingard popped up with a late winner, kind of poetic in a sense, really, given he was there last season, found himself again, and now he's come back to you know, Ernie night three points, but then that wasn't even the end of the drama either after West Ham went down the other end and earned a penalty, which they then brought on Mark Noble to miss. So it was a, it was quite an entertaining game to be fair. How did you see it? How did it, how did it play out for you? Well, I often describe United as a team of moments uh, rather than maybe unerring consistency in their play. And I think we saw that against West Ham. And that might be, say, the the conversation around the season so far about United trying to find consistency. But they did well to go to an opponent like West Ham, you know, a team that's got bona fide top six, top eight aspirations, and to go and get the three points. Again, not perfect, like you just said there. I just think United, there's still lots of work to do. They've brought three very good players into the football club. But it's not quite popping and clicking yet they're getting closer I, I think it shows that there's goals in this team if United can find a uh, kind of a creative ebb to their play and to make sure that they uh, have a little bit more acumen in front of their defence I think we saw that again with the return of Scott McTominay that was a, a big win for Ole but I think also it's just now trying to find your route into this league title challenge because United are at the right end of the table it's where we want them to be It's just now making sure those performances match where you truly, truly think you need to be to win a championship. Just wanted to ask you on that, actually. I think I've been speaking with fans of other clubs over the last few days. You know, your Chelsea's, Liverpool's, Man City's. uh, United are obviously ahead of City in the league at the moment. But it it does seem like, you know, Chelsea are the media darlings at the moment. I think Uh, Liverpool, uh, especially Liverpool fans are thinking, why aren't we in the conversation? But they actually are. Uh, I think they're level on points and they've matched their results uh, goal for goal uh, so far this season. United are kind of two points or two goals behind on goal difference, I think. 
Um, but they're on the same points, obviously. So they've made a good start. From a United perspective, how do you kind of take that? Because, yes, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think United are a, a kind of a moment's team and maybe the likes of Chelsea do look more of a fully formed unit. Um, do you feel like United are being overlooked in any sense? This year? I don't think I don't think they're being overlooked, but I think it's wise to just let the the kind of chapters move along naturally. You know, so United are where they need to be in terms of points for for the championship as it stands. But until ten games or twelve games are done, there's nothing really to think about. It's just about this is almost like a pre season period of getting yourself ready for a title challenge. Now, for me, I think the team so far that's been the best that I've watched has been Liverpool. I think Liverpool look like they're the side that have got the most chemistry, that they've got the most togetherness in terms of how they're working as a unit. And I think maybe close behind that are Chelsea and United. But as I said, United, I think United and Chelsea are very similar in that sense. Obviously, they've got new players or kind of a new outlook. I still think Thomas Tuchel, even though he won a Champions League last year, you know, he's still trying to find his way there. He's not been at the club that long. So I think that might hinder their title challenge this year. But for me, it's Liverpool. And, and and then City are the sleeper hit. Like, we all know what Man City do. They did this last year. They didn't start very well. And then what happened? They went on a kind of crazy run of about 28 games of just winning, 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 winning. That's what I want to see from Manchester United. I think once we see that, Scott, that kind of consistency, then I might start getting excited about winning the Premier League. And I think United could get there, but it's really up to Ole to prove that he's the manager to push United towards a championship. Do you think having the likes of Scott McTominay back in the team will be really important to that? Absolutely. And I've said this before. I think when they're fit, everyone in the squad, I think Scott McTominay and Fred are the first two names on the team sheet. If you're going to play 4-2-3-1, you can swap in and out a striker. You can swap in and out a left-sided forward. You can even swap out, swap out your full-backs and your centre-backs. The hardest position to swap around in is that double pivot that does all the hard work. You know, it's not just destructive work, but it's a lot of running. And you need runners. You need people who can can get in and influence the game through through challenging opposition. And that's what Scott and Fred do. You know, they're not the most technical players. They're not the greatest players. They're not the most blessed players. But I think they're probably the most important. I would pretty much agree with you on that i don't i don't want to agree with you all the time rob but we're on the same wavelength i think uh, and that's and why fans don't is going so well <laughs> yeah and fans don't want to agree with that with that because it doesn't play into the narrative of of wanting midfielder x or united to do you know play a system of 4-3-3 every week united do transition from 4-2-3-1 to 4-3-3 in matches so that does happen but I think it's, you know, if you go to West Ham, what are you going to do? You're going to have to defend. You're going to have to, you're going to have to, at times, hurt them when they want to play counter. And that's what happened, didn't it, in the game? West Ham wanted to play counter-attack. And the first half, they did it quite successfully. And United looked a little bit lost at times. And then United sorted that out. And sometimes you have to do that in-game. So it's tough. And, you know, I think Fred and McTominay, they are two players for Ole. I think they're essential when they're fit. Because you could drop Pogba in there, Van der Beek, Matic. There's other options. They're just not as good. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, obviously, there's some nice stories to come out of that West Ham game. Uh, we're going to focus on two. Jesse Lingard, the first one. Um, now, we spoke on this podcast last week about it wasn't necessarily you know, his fault that after the he being maybe brought back into a central midfield role where he probably shouldn't have been played, 
played that back pass against Young Boys in midweek and it ended up costing United a point uh, in the Champions League in a game that they should be winning. Um, but it's the life of a footballer, really, because one day Lingard is hanging his head, you know, uh, just unable to get his head around what's just happened. The next he's picked himself up, come on, and literally decided three points and taken United, given United three points and taken a win out of the jaws of it didn't really look like anything was coming. It was late on. I think it was the 89th, 90th minute and Lingard pops up, gets the ball, works a bit of space in the box and picks up the top corner with, it was, it was brilliant. Uh, amazing for Jesse Lingard as well. So um, what do you see his role being in the squad this year? Because he's, he's obviously out of contract uh, at the end of the season. I think United are keen on tying him down at the moment, but, he's kind of thrust himself into the one of the first choice options off the bench. Um, I've been kind of expecting him to start here and there. Maybe, maybe he'll start in the next few weeks at some point, but United have a lot of options. And I think Lingard's really forced himself into the conversation when perhaps a few weeks ago, he wasn't there. So what do you make of his, uh, his recent run? Well, I think when you get a punch on the chin, the most important thing is to get up off the canvas and carry on. So the back pass, in the Champions League, obviously loses Manchester United the game. That's not great. And then you can maybe go and sulk, lick your wounds, and especially if you're a bench player, find that your form collapses. One thing we do know about United, of course, and with Lingard and with Solskjaer, is that Ole is very good at man management. So Ole would have diffused that immediately. He would have taken the sting out of it. He'd have helped the player and he'd have moved it on. And you can see that. The West Ham game was perfect proof of that. So you just said about role. You know, I don't think Jesse Lingard wants to be a role player. I don't think Jesse Lingard wants to be a substitute. But a club at Manchester United, you have to prove yourself in a way that is just unerring. So let's take, for instance, Donny van der Beek. Donny gets by on reputation from what he did at Ajax, but he's not cutting it in training. He's not cutting it for Ole. He's not starting games. I think that would be the same for Jesse. I don't think Jesse would be getting matches unless he was proving it. So we saw against West Ham what he can do for this team. And, and I don't see him being a maybe a contender to start. There, there are games he will start in rotation. But for to win a title, you need to be able to change games. And Jesse Lingard is a game changer. So if you've got him for 20 minutes in that kind of spell where teams are slowing down, getting tired... United needs some fresh a fresh burst of impetus, then you can bring in Jesse Lingard. That's where I see him. And I think if United won the title because of that, and Jesse was a big part of that, and he was a super sub, per se, I think he would be okay with that because it's about showing that you're useful to your football club. And he loves Manchester United, and I think he would love to be a role player in that way. He'd prefer to be a starter, but I think it's the other side of the scale, Scott. I don't think he wants to be a forgotten man. That's more it. He doesn't want to be a bench player that gets no minutes, that maybe gets five minutes every 10 games, like a van der Beek. I don't think that's something that floats his boat. And I think if that was the case, then he'd probably be playing for West Ham right now. Yeah, it's really, considering where Lingard was, and he's spoken out about it, um, at points over the last couple of years about how uh, much difficulty he's gone through over the last few years. It's really nice to see him with that confidence again. I, I really like the moment. Uh, I want to ask you this, of what, where you stand on this. 
celebrating against former clubs. Uh, I quite enjoyed the moment where he'd scored the goal and he thought, no, I'll be a little bit respectful to the West Ham fans here, but Bruno Ronaldo and Harry Maguire were behind him. And you saw Ronaldo visibly push him forward to go and celebrate. And it looked, it was quite, it was quite nice. Um, and there's been a few memes to come out of that. What, what's, where do you stand on that in general, in a general football sense? Well, look, it was a nice little holiday for Jesse in London, wasn't it, last season? He got himself back together, played lots of football, looked great, got back in the England squad. Uh, where do I kind of stand on it? I, I I, think players should celebrate. You know, at, at the end of the day, it's your club that you play for, the club that you're trying to push on. Um, you don't have to go over the top. And I think he did that. You know, he kind of, he was trying to be sombre and he didn't want to kind of rub it in West Ham fans' faces but he would have been delighted that that ball went in the back of the net. He won't be thinking, oh, poor West Ham, you know, poor hammers, poor bubbles everywhere. You know, he would have actually been thinking, yeah, I did my job. I came on. I proved to the manager what I am. And I showed once again on this football pitch that he's done very well, well at the London Stadium that I can score goals. And it was a brilliant goal. You know, a pressure moment where he could have really messed it up. You know, he took a bad first touch, I thought, then took a really good second one and then buries it in the top corner. You know, good on Jesse, and we need more from that from him in the season ahead. There was a there was a moment, I think, at about 10 minutes before the goal when it was 1-1, looking like it might have petered out where the West Ham fans were singing about Jesse Lingard wanting to come back. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's... I don't think that's the case, and I think that it's, 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 a, it's a law. Maybe don't fall in love with a lone player because they'll come back to bite you at some point. Uh, let's Let's move on. I haven't got him in the notes, but it's, it's kind of good to Cristiano Ronaldo scored again. Uh, and, and we're not even going to talk about him. He, he just kind of you know, get goes along, scores a goal here and there. It's, it's four goals in three games. We should probably have a, a quick note on him because there were a few penalty decisions in, in that game where, you know, I think there were three. Ollie has come out and said that he thought United should have had two. Uh, I'm not sure where I stand, but I think that the third and the first one's You've seen them given, let's be real. But um, Cristiano Ronaldo, he's he making opportunities for himself. I think the statistics for touches in the opponent's box and shots and shots on target and all of that kind of stuff, he's, he's right at the top of the list at the moment. And he's just added something a little bit different. And Bruno's cross into him uh, for the equaliser. was It was a good response to falling behind. And it's just good to have somebody like Ronaldo in there to just thrust United back into games like this and just have it as... Oh, we we expect this now, and this is always gonna. We can always rely on this. Uh, he's he's been he's been doing well, hasn't he, Ronaldo? He has, and when you put you know one of the greatest players of all time into your team, even at thirty six years old, the expectation is that you score a goal every week. That's that's Ronaldo's job, and he knows that. He has no, you know, he has no kind of fear of thinking that if. He goes into other parts of the football pitch and his metrics are really good in those parts, like, say, passing stats and stuff like that. That's not what Ronaldo gets out of bed for. Ronaldo's about scoring goals. Just to kind of reference how you said about the penalties, um, I think fans are going to have to get used to it this season that those things are not going to be given. We knew at the start of the season, when I first watched the first games for work and saw that referees were allowing players to just smash into other players in any part of the pitch and then had their hands up in the air with the waving play on. And you're thinking, what's this? Again, it's English football setting the bar at a, a ridiculous standard for their own expectations. So they're saying, well, we're a physical sport, so you can do whatever you want. 
So, yes, last year, I think all three of those are penalties last year. This year, I don't think any of them are. And that's the way I think fans are going to have to think. When you see that and there's minimal contact, and certainly when players try and initiate contact, that's what Ronaldo was doing, especially the one against, I think, uh, Zuma, where he gets the contact and he flies over his leg, does that kind of pirouette-style dive over the top. You get that last year because of contact and it's a tiny bit late. This year, you're getting nothing. And that's just the way it's going to be. I think we're going to see the penalty debate roll on week after week after week for every club. It's not going to be something that's Manchester United-centric. It's going to be more in the Premier League itself. Personally, I don't like it. I think if a foul is a foul, give it. That's the way it should be. That's what VAR is there for uh, and to kind of correct mistakes. But it's difficult because the referees have been given this directive, Scott. They've been told not to give it. So what can you say? I think the the referee board have reviewed some of those decisions uh, in in the day after and said that maybe some of them should be should have been given. But I, I don't know how they, how things will change. One penalty that was given though uh, came at the other end, just after Jesse Lingard had scored. And I wanted to move on to uh, I think a nice story here, uh, not the Mark Noble story. Uh, Mark Noble was brought on <laughs> after uh, Luke Shaw was penalised for a handball, which. It is a penalty in the modern in the modern game. His his arm was stretched out, but it came from about a yard away. So I think Luke Shaw was unlucky, but it it just is a penalty nowadays from from my perspective. But Mark Noble stayed on or was brought onto the pitch specifically to take a penalty and ended up seeing his penalty saved by a man who hasn't saved a penalty in his last forty attempts. So David De Gea. Uh, after that Europa League final last season, uh, it, it didn't seem like it could really get any any lower for him. But I wrote a piece for Nighty Min uh, a, lot, a few days ago. Just seems like he might have turned a corner maybe in the last few weeks. I know it might have been might it might be a little bit early to take that conclusion, but I think the way that the players ran ran back to David de Gea after the final whistle went, yes, it was a celebration of three points, but it also a bit of personal. Uh, it might have been a bit personal as well because De Gea's had a really tough time over the last few years um, with mistakes creeping, creeping into his game, the likes of Roy Keane coming out to criticise him, saying, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's not been nice. He's been typical Roy Keane, uh, speaking bluntly. But De Gea, it was a nice moment for him, wasn't it? It was, it was not the hardest save in the world, just that I guess the right way. But just seeing... Seeing a save like that and the, maybe the confidence it could bring somebody like to here who's had a tough time, uh, it was nice to see. What, what did you make of it, Rob? It was nice to see. And I think the, you know, the De Gea roadshow, which has kind of rolled on, I think, since since the Europa League final, where obviously he, he had all those penalties that he couldn't say or didn't get anywhere near. And United obviously lose that trophy, that grip on that trophy. To, to where he is now in this challenge with Dean Henderson. Obviously, Henderson himself has had COVID. He's had injuries, had issues to try and get fit to be a contender to be for those gloves. I think you've just got to give all the credit to David De Gea. Where would Man United be in the league now? We're talking about United being at the top of the league at this early stage and being close to those positions where you want them to be. Where would they be without David De Gea this season? He's already saved United in two or three matches. So again, in the story of the season, these things sometimes get lost because goalkeepers are expected to make saves. But it is really those one or two big saves in matches 
that kind of take you to the next level. We saw it in the Wolves game where Sice is about to put the ball in the net. De Gea makes a, a, a double save that, let's be honest, most goalkeepers in the world can't make. You know, so I think this is the other side of the coin is that football fans quite often think about players on their wages. De Gea is on a huge wage. And the people saying, right, move him out. You can use that wage for something else. It doesn't work like that. That's not how wages to players to the first team really works. You have to say to players, earn your wage. Now, David De Gea came back early from training for from the summer and said to the manager, I want my I want my shirt. I want to be number one. And what did Ole say? He said, go and prove it. So I think we're seeing that now. And like you said, the players all ran to him, which you would do if you save a penalty, which wins you the match. But I think that was also representative about how they feel about him. You know, he's still a senior player in this squad. And if United do win the title this year, I think David De Gea will be a huge part of it. Yeah, we'll we'll have to revisit the conversation about whether um, Dean Henderson takes the number one shirt, which might have been expected at, at, at certain points last season. I think there was a time where Henderson had flipped and was taking the league position. But I feel like De Gea has stepped up a level since. Yeah, I, I also think in that period last season, it was more a case of people just reading reading the room. So they're just saying, well, Henderson's the young buck. He's going to be long-term Man United number one. He's got uh, given a new contract. De Gea's form is not as good as it was. He's getting older. He's on a big contract. Therefore, Henderson starts. The, the truth is, the thing that dictates that is training and what manager sees in games. And I think with Henderson last year, he was okay when he came in. He wasn't great. You know, he had a, one or two mistakes. But he didn't kind of show form that made me think, well, 100% De Gea can't get back in here. But De Gea showed this season that he's still David De Gea. And that's what's really important. He's not old. You know, for a goal, goalkeepers can go in well into their 30s. It's just a case of maybe recapturing your form and your focus. And I think that was more of the thing with David De Gea maybe over the last two years is that, as United changed their project, brought other players in, tried a different style, he was needed less than, say, in previous managers who needed him to save them every week, which is what he did. And that's why he was player of the year for so many seasons. And now he has to fit into this role of maybe making that one vital save in a match where you win the points. It's not, it's not making 10 vital saves, Scott, which is what it was five, six, seven, eight years ago. So I, I'm okay with David De Gea. I think, as you said, we'll revisit it in time to come because I think Henderson will start cup matches. He might start even some of the Champions League games and it will be see for him to prove that he can match De Gea's standards. And I'm, I think the jury's out. I think, I think Henderson's a really good goalkeeper. I don't think he's any better with his feet. And I think that is a, that's a big thing in today's game. You know, you need goalkeepers are good with your feet. Can it's then about shot stopping? You know, who's going to keep the ball out of the net most? And I think De Gea at the moment is kind of saying to Dean Henderson, you need to step up to the plate, boy. There's there's been a bit of uh over the last few months in the United fan base, because we are we are supporters at the end of the day. We do work in football media as well, both of us, but we are United fans at heart. There's a, a narrative, or there was a narrative developing that this place is not big enough for two goalkeepers vying for the number one shirt. It, yeah, where do you stand on that? Do you feel like there should be one number one who is the undisputed and somebody just... There was De Gea and Romero for a few years, right? So Romero would sit on the bench as De Gea played pretty much every game and Romero was brought in for the games that necessarily didn't matter as much. How do you how do you see this? Because Henderson is going to... When he's, when he's back fit, he's going to be pushing for that number one shirt. Do you feel like it's healthy competition to have two players for every position who 
could, you know, one could take over the other, one could become first pick. Uh, is, th- is that a healthy thing in goal? I think so. I think it is for every position. I know we like to think that goalkeepers are different to other footballers, but they're not. They're still human beings. They still have to train. They still have to prove themselves. And they still need time on the football pitch. So I have no issue with a manager, and obviously in our case, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, saying to these guys, fight it out and you'll get minutes. And the guy that I think is training best or showing the best form is the one that plays. And I think that's that's how football clubs should be about fairness. Football clubs should not be about hierarchy or favoritism. Yeah, so we do see that sometimes uh, quite a bit. And I think fo- fans kind of subscribe to that, Scott. You know, they have a favourite. So last year, a lot of people were not really hot and Gea. They were like, get rid of him. You know, forget about everything he's done. He's, he's a, a spent force. Let's go and get Henderson. Let's let him play. It doesn't work like that. You know, it doesn't really, you, you, you can't just lean on those factors. So, like you said about goalkeeper, you know, if you look at, say, in times gone by, let's look at Liverpool even, say someone like that. They have Allison, and then they have some backups. And if that's your setup, that's okay. No problem. But what happens when Alisson gets injured? He gets out for eight to ten games and you lose matches and that's the end of your title challenge. So you have to have the most quality possible in your squad and it's better than to keep players for that reason. We've just talked about Jesse Lingard. You know, I know lots of people that want to get rid of Jesse Lingard and they want to get rid of him because it's kind of a factor of, oh, you know, is he any good? Well, he is good. He's an England international. I'd rather he was on our side than their side. And, and I feel that way about Henderson and, and De Gea. I say to them, fight it out. For all we know, David De Gea makes an amazing save in the next match, dislocates his shoulder and is out for three to six months. And then you need that elite goalkeeper to come in. Let them fight it out, Scott. They're big boys. You know, get all this about, you know, they're men. Let them fight it out. Let's find out who the best player is. So it leads me on quite well, actually, to something I wanted to speak about next. So last week before the West Ham game, Oli uh, was asked in his pre-match press conference about his midfield area. Uh, McTominay and Fred obviously played together on Sunday. I think, as we've already mentioned here, they're probably going to be pretty much the go-to pairing for bringing that energy and that bite into midfield. But it's the one area where I think a lot of United fans seem to think that that's, that's weak and it needs upgrading. Now, we got to see Declan Rice uh, on Sunday. Um, I'm just going to read out, before we get into that, I'm just going to read out a quote that Ollie said in his press conference. I'm not, I'm not here to explain every single detail of how I want my team to play. We want central midfielders who can play. Today's football is about he's a good 6, 8 or 10. But back in the day, you had proper midfielders, Roy Keane, Paul Scholes and Brian Robson. You can see players out here, out there who can attack and defend, and that's what we look for, midfielders who are complete, and we try to develop that in our midfield. So Declan Rice is one of the players, perhaps he was priced out of a move this summer. I think there's a lot of interest in him from the likes of Chelsea. I think United are in there as well. Maybe City and and Liverpool. Maybe not Liverpool, we'll see. But um, there's a lot of interest in him. He's an England international. He was really good at the Euros. Seems to... He plays regularly in a double pivot uh, for West Ham and for for England as well. He's done it with Calvin Phillips. What what do you make of Declan Rice? Because I I, I quite like him. I think I I personally think he can actually fit that mold and he could grow into the proper centre centre midfielder uh, description that Ollie said there. And I feel like that's where the interest might come from. But what what do you think of him, Rob? What, what kind of player do you see him as? 
I think that Declan Rice is a defensive midfielder. We know what he does. He gets about well in those parts of the pitch. He can give you function from there. I think he is very good at that and not very good at some of the other parts of central midfield. So, you know, all those comments there, I think, you know, we think about transfer windows and when transfer windows are open, you've got a chance in to maybe improve. And then when the transfer window shuts, that's it. You've got no chance to improve. You have to work with what you've got. So I think when you look at Scott McTominay and what McTominay's game was in the West Ham match and look at what um, what Rice did, you know, the question I always pose is, who is really the better player? Now, I think, you know, your hype boys will always say that it's Rice, that he's the guy. But in the same way that I don't think that Jack Grealish is worth £100 million, I don't think that Declan Rice is worth £80 million. So this is the kind of financial question that Manchester United would need to answer in the next transfer window. Can you get a player that does all the things that Ole just said there in that quote for well under £80 million? And the answer to that is yes. So it's a difficult one because it's not it's not a slant really at Declan Rice. I think at a club who of West Ham's aspirations, no offence to that, that's not a slant at them. Um, but he's going to shine in that environment. When you come to Manchester United and, you know, if you literally pick your nose the wrong way, you know, you're going to get pulled up for it. It's going to be news. I, do I think Declan Rice is the person that gets United to the title for £80 million? The answer, 100%, is no. I'm happier with what we've got at the moment. I do want us to buy a central midfielder, but I want us to buy the right one. We need someone that can play 6, 8 and 10 comfortably. Rice is a really good 6. He's an OK 8. He can't really play 10. So you need someone that can that can move through the midfield, be a little bit more visceral, work with the guys in front of them, get that ball out. You've got Ruben Neves. You've got Basuma. There's a lot of players and the dream signing, if you're going to talk big money, would be Jude Bellingham. Oh, great shout. I'm sure so even you went, even you went, oh, you see, that's the whole thing. If you want a dream signing, get a dream signing, pay for it, you know, go. And then you would go, oh, but, you know, if you get Declan Rice, I'm not going, oh, I'm going, yeah, he's all right. 80 million. <laughs> hmm. All right, 80 million. What could you have done with that 80 million? Jude Bellingham. You know, we'd all be purring every week. I think he's the guy. You let him stay at Dortmund. You do what you did with Sancho. Let a couple of years yeah. there. Let him grow. Let him show what he can do. We're seeing it. The boy is special. And he's already got connections at United. We know that, that he spoke to the club. He came to Carrington. And he likes Manchester United. So, you know, maybe one day in the future, there's a future kind of relationship there with a, an incredibly elite young talent. Could it be that United end up trying to raid Borussia Dortmund for three consecutive summers? Because I don't know if, if Erling Haaland's going this summer, uh, there's a release clause that kicks into his contract, plenty of interest in him, i say this summer, 2022, whether they'll look to sell the likes of Bellingham and Haaland in the same summer. I don't really know. I, th- I could maybe see Bellingham being there for another year, but he's excelling at the moment. Uh, and you can exactly see why United was so desperate to get him before he ended up choosing Dortmund uh, when he decided to move there in the first place but yeah uh i've di- actually did have a thought there because i wanted to look ahead to the villa game this weekend uh john mcginn <laughs> uh is is he one of those players i'm not sure of his fitness status but he's been uh, he's been getting some praise uh in the last few weeks for his performances with villa um he was once linked with a 50 million move to united i think maybe when villa were in the championship as well he was it was a while ago and i think everyone 
turn their nose up at it a little bit. But yeah, Villa are next up for United on Saturday at 12.30. This is another one of those games where this was a difficult one last season, although uh, they, they did have Jack Greenish to carry the ball there and they changed, a, changed around a little bit under Dean Smith since then. This is a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday at Old Trafford. Will you be there, Rob? I'll be there. Should be a nice atmosphere. I should have sung uh, that, shouldn't I? Like Mariah, I should have sung that to you there. <laughs> uh, yes, it, it'd be another difficult game, but it's another one of those games where United just have to keep momentum going and just win and just keep the pace, right? Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, it, it, Villa are a very similar club to West Ham, aren't they? Not in terms of what the, the colour of their strip, but more a case of how they play, that they are a threat and that they've got pieces that can really hurt you. Just going back to John McGinn thing there, you know, John McGinn's worth £50 million. Scott, you're worth 25 and 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 I would probably try and buy you. So I, I, I look at it like that. I'm not I, a I midfielder, to be fair. John, I'm not a John midfielder. Mc, well, look, Man United <laughs> over the years have bought players who are not midfielders and played them in midfield, so you'd be fine. But I, I, I just think we've uh, with players like John McGinn, yeah, they're very good. Uh, Fergie was talking him up. That was one of the reasons why he became linked to United because Fergie said he like, quite likes him. He's Scottish, of course. Um, but it's more of a case of, you know, can can this player give you more functionality and make you better? He's a good player, John McGinn, but not for me. You know, I think we need a different standard. I think uh, Villa losing Grealish for them. They've shown that they're going to have teething problems this season. They look good at times. They don't look so good at other times. But their new contingent that they've brought in a, a good, it's a solid base. They're a club that should have aspirations to be in the top half of the table. And again, you know, if they survive this season and they they stay out of the relegation zone, then I think they'll be okay with that because you go again for another season and you get on and you try and push forward. They're a club that got big aspirations. But United have to go to Old Trafford and beat teams like Aston Villa without fuss. And this is what I want to see this year, Scott. I want to see United turn up and dismantle teams at Old Trafford in the first 25 minutes. I want opponents to look at Ronaldo and absolutely have the proverbials about them and give up straight away. Now, the Premier League is a tough competition. Teams don't give up, but you have to push the money. You've got to push it. And I, th- I want to see that from United. So this is the kind of game that I'm going to turn up at Old Trafford. And the expectations are higher than, say, 12 months or 24 months ago when I was turned up for a similar match. I'd have gone, you know, what's going to happen here? You know, well, Villa could still get points off us. But I want to see United go out there and say, we are title contenders. You are not. And therefore, that's how this match is going to play out. Yeah, Villa went to Chelsea recently, right? And uh, they created a good few chances themselves, but ended up losing, I think it was 3-0, right? So, you know, and that was a a case where Chelsea didn't actually play that well, but I think two goals from Romelu Lukaku and that was that was pretty much it. You know, he just struck at the right times and Chelsea moved on without a fuss. And they, as, as I mentioned earlier, they seem to be the media darlings and United have got to follow that, follow that yeah, that's, method. That's how you, it's, it's the Man City method, isn't it? It's like if you win 20 games in a row, the... 12 of those wins are just mandatory. You just turn up, do your thing, pass the ball about, one or two really beautiful moves, and you win the game 2-0. That's how you win the Premier League. You know, you don't get style points in the Premier League. And this is why also I think you have to be careful about what a manager's intentions and selections are. I think Ole wants to play philosophically attacking football. And I think that some weeks you can't always do it. There has to be a balance. So... You know, Villa will pose a threat to United. Look, Southampton did it. Southampton turned up at uh, at the Etihad and nearly took all three points. 
this is what the Premier League's all about. This is why it's so exciting. This is why we got jobs in this industry, Scott. You know, we we see that this is drama. Um, and I think with Villa, they've got a chance, but United have to be the guys that prove that they're a bigger, stronger, better team. If you've got Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba in your team, you should be going and beating Aston Villa. Absolutely no ends. Let's see if they can do it. Uh, we'll wrap up shortly, Rob. I just wanted to touch on an interview that Phil Jones did with the Times uh, the other day about the criticism he's been handed, or you don't really get handed criticism, do you? The criticism he's received from the likes of, I think, Rio Ferdinand. Uh, there's been there's been a whole can of worms opened here, actually, with Rio Ferdinand's comments on a number of aspects at United. Uh, Oli has come out to personally defend Phil Jones in the last few weeks, but Jones has done... He's never really done too many interviews, and we've not seen him in the team for, oh God, I think it might have been January 2020 when he last played for United. Um, obviously had a lot of injury troubles. He's, I think it's his knee that has uh, really held him back. But the fallout from that interview uh, has has meant that Rio and Oli have, I don't know if they've fallen out, but Rio has been asking for a, just call me, Oli. Uh, what have you made of... Uh, a Phil Jones, uh, where do you see a standing in the squad? It's it, it's it was kind of a hard hard thing to read, to be honest, because he's done like like I say, he's been he's not really spoken too much about. It. He's just got on with his work. He's just just got on with his job, and that's led to criticism from some quarters, which perhaps is unwarranted. What do you think? Well, look, we live in different times now, don't we? So, what was acceptable to be said ten, twenty, thirty years ago? not acceptable anymore so i think when when rio's looking at situational comments that he made i don't think his comments were massively outlandish but they were very personal and they were intrinsically incorrect they were wrong now rio shared addressing with phil jones he knows what the pressure at the top is he knows about mental health he knows about all of these things so he should be first of all a little bit more careful about what he says i think that is the, that's the first point here and if I'm Oleg Solskjaer, I'm absolutely coming out and defending my player. Now, I don't think Phil Jones has any standing in the Manchester United squad. I think he's at the bottom of the pile. I think he has to work his way back. I don't think he'll ever be a starter. I don't even think he'll even be a bench option this year. In, in reality, if people get injured and he's fit, there might be an opportunity for him to come in. But you look at Axel Tuanzebi last year, who is a bigger talent, a better player at the moment, and he couldn't get in the team. So he's had to obviously be shipped out on loan. And I think eventually Phil Jones will leave the football club. But I think it is just wrong to say to someone, you know, if you've got injuries and you've had bad times and stuff ain't working, leave, go, bye, see you later, mate. Because it's it's just a it's a very kind of binary fan opinion, isn't it? I don't like that player. That player isn't playing for me, for my he doesn't make me excited. Go. And Rio Ferdinand should know a hundred percent more than that. When Rio Ferdinand missed his drug test United fans backed him they didn't say get out of football club because you've let us down Rio so I think Rio needs to kind of just sit back and touch on those things a little bit more and I think with Phil Jones I don't think he wants to be injured I don't think he wants to let United down and I do think eventually it will mean that he's playing at another football club but hey why not support the guy for a bit or or give some football opinion rather than making it personal yeah I'm, I'm with you on that I mean from from my side, I think it was a. Well, I wouldn't say it was a good. It was a good thing to read, but you know, it was. 
you know, having an insight into what Phil Jones has gone through, it was, um, you know, it, it was necessary. Um, and it's I what we call it's what we call a hot take, isn't it, in this industry? Yeah, uh, yeah. Scott. So you know, if someone wants to put a hot take out there, it's because they want heat. That's what a hot take means. And Rio put a hot take out there, and he probably just thought he wouldn't get any blowback for it because he's Rio, because people like him, he's popular. But you can't say that about a player that you maybe don't know the situation about. And even though Rio's got great connections at United and is obviously good friends of Ole, he said it in a way that was about getting hits and clicks. So that's on Rio. He has to carry that. He has apologised. So I think we leave it there and we say, okay. And I'm sure that he will reach out to Phil Jones uh, and maybe have a more extensive conversation about the subject of mental health and obviously getting on in football. Yeah, I think the best goes to Phil Jones. I think he's had a couple of uh, under-23s games in recent weeks. And wherever he does end up, whether he does end up forcing his way back into the United squad in the next, well, before the end of his contracts, it's been a, it's been a little while now. Or whether he does end up leaving the club if he if he wants to continue playing football, I'm just wishing the best, right? Um, it would be be good to see him on a pitch again. Good luck to him. Good luck to him. I think he's a, a he's always been a good pro. You know, when he came to United, he was a fantastic youngster. He had immediate impact, and he showed obviously. You know, Fergie made those uh, immortal words that Phil Jones is kind of going to be the best player at the football club, and uh, is the next Duncan Edwards. Those were the words, and <laughs> of course, that hasn't worked out. And that happens in football a lot, doesn't it? It's injuries can cut down a player, and and a player that then isn't quite as good as you want them to be. Owen Hargreaves comes to Manchester United, wins the Champions League, then spends years on the on the on the sidelines because he's injured. It happens. So. Yeah, good luck to Phil. I hope whatever whatever his next steps are in football are successful ones. I would love them to be at United. I'd love him to come back and maybe shove two thing- fingers up at the world and say, you know, I'm still a player. I'm still here. I just think his future is away from the football club eventually. Um, but also, um, you know, there was a lot of chat before just to kind of finish on that point that that nobody was interested in Phil Jones. And that was a narrative that was running a few weeks ago that no clubs wanted him and that that they looked at his injury record and said, no, that's not the case. There were several clubs that did want him. Fulham were one of those clubs. It was just a case of the deal that United wanted to kind of put the wage off the bill and get clubs paying for it. And clubs rightfully said, we're not paying his wages. You need to pay his wages, but we'll take him. That's why Phil Jones is not playing football at the moment, not because clubs do not want Phil Jones. We have heard exactly the same. Uh, I can confirm that too. Just one more thing I did want to touch on. You mentioned to Alex Ferguson there, there was a lovely bit at the end of that uh, piece with the Times from Jonathan Northcroft. Uh where Phil recalls a meeting with Sir Alex Ferguson that is a movie premiere. He was unbelievable for me. I went to the premiere of his film with a few players and he came over, we shook hands. And then out of the blue, he said, Hey, you were effing terrific against Real Madrid away. (laughs) Effing marking Ronaldo. It just gave me so much confidence. So um, lovely to hear that. Uh, It's, we hope uh, listener that you've, uh, it's been lovely for you to hear us. Have I said that right? I hope so. Uh, we've, we've really enjoyed uh, these podcasts so far. Uh, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure you do too, Rob. I'm just going to put words in your mouth there. I'm, I'm hoping you enjoy it. But uh, keep listening and follow us on all of our social platforms. I'm at underscore Scott Saunders on Twitter, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at PromisedLandMU on that Twitter website. Uh, we're also on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Remember to subscribe to us, leave a review five stars, whatever you do, just to get us uh, up the rankings a little bit. I think we're actually breaking some charts I have seen in the last few days. I, I, I don't think I've told you yet, but um, I, somebody did send me that from uh, from behind the scenes the other day. So we're doing okay. 
Um, but if you like this podcast, then keep listening and tell your friends as well, because we would like uh, like as many people to listen to us as possible. And of course, tweet and of course, tweet us about the show, the stuff that you want to hear on the show. You want to hear us talk about anything Manchester United related or anything else. Then just get on your socials, share your thoughts about the show and we'll talk back to you and we'll try and obviously serve you because you're the audience. You're the people we're kind of talking to with our discussions that we have every week. And yes, Scott, I am enjoying it. Fantastic. Right. Have a good week, Rob. Um, hopefully, Aston Villa at home is a is a nice 4-0 win where United blow Aston Villa away in the first 25 minutes with three goals, as we are wishing for, but we will see. Uh, and we will see you, listener, pretty soon, probably next week at some point after the Aston Villa game. Uh, have a good week, and we'll see you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.